Hi there, we're back again. Uh, looking forward to finding out how we enter into God's rest. You know, it was one of the outline points, the praying in the last days. And we finally, faith has to come to a rest for it to be activated and, and uh, activated. It's voice activated, but it has to be activated. So it has to come to a resting place before the creative power of it goes on out and accomplishes what we've been looking for. And so um, let's look in, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. I want to lay a little foundation here about things. This is, to me, such an extremely important point principle that if we can get this principle accomplished, if we can get this down, if we can get the, a revelation of this principle, it can be life-changing to us. And so um, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in, in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. So <clears throat> all through the chapter 1 of Genesis, God said and God saw. God said and God saw. I mean, you know, and we know that, but when you really stop and meditate on these things and chew on them a little bit like a cow chews on his cud, when you stop and stick that straw in your mouth and lay back and watch the clouds flow and meditate on things, you all of a sudden a picture starts forming on the inside of you. And once you get that picture and that revelation, hell itself can't take it away from you. And so that's what we're looking for is to get that kind of revelation in God's word because Noah being warned of God of things not yet seen built an ark for the salvation of his household. And we started off praying in the last days, praying for our households, wanting our loved ones to get on board with us so that when the rapture does take place, that we've got, we've got them securely tucked away with us. And so, um, uh, we want to learn this principle that we're going to be looking at over the next couple of podcasts. And so I encourage you to, to tune in. So the, he was, he said, and then he saw, he said, and then he saw. So words created everything we can see. And then it said the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work. What was his work? His work was speaking everything into existence. He came upon darkness and he said, light be. He spoke of things that weren't as though they were. He called into being, into, into manifestation, what one can't see. Speaking of things that aren't as though they were. Uh, and so he finished his, ended his work that which he had made and he rested on the seventh day. So he entered into a rest and he spoke words and then he entered into the rest of those words that were spoken. And from all his work which he had made, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. This made this made it a uh, this is an act of holiness. Actually, um, it's an act of holiness as we do it this way, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Now listen, the word work there means workmanship, business, occupation comes from a root word that means to dispatch as a deputy, messenger, or representative. 
So what did he do? He dispatched his business. If someone says, what kind of business are you in? Speaking God's word, that's our business. Now we may be planted somewhere in a business, but our business there is to speak God's word over that situation. I just sometimes wonder what would happen if if Christians could, if we could all get hold of this and really uh, get developed in it. And by the way, I understand that you can get a revelation. I reached a point in my life one time where I, I realized I had greater revelation than I had discipline. Because revelation is going to put a demand for discipline. If you're going to get the revelation, you're going to need to want to do it. And to do it is going to require discipline. So it's it, this is a journey we're on. We're being trained in righteousness while we're here. This is our boot camp here in earth. And um, the word of God has already been tried in the furnace of the earth. Uh, seven time, It's been seven times hotter, and it's been tried in that, in the furnace of the earth. So it can make it through. The word of God itself has been to hell and back. So there's nothing that can happen here that it can't tend to and take care of. So this business, this occupation of learning to speak God's word to every situation and to discipline ourselves, to bring ourselves to the disciplines of not letting go of that. So some of our outline things were not to lose our focus, to move obstacles out of the way. These, this, is, this outline is getting more and more treasure uh, to me as I go along teaching it. So our business, our occupation, and is to dispatch as a deputy. So when you, <clears throat> that's what God did. He dispatched his word in all chapter one as a deputy to go out and do what it said it was going to do. And um, it went out and represented. So when we, when we speak God's word, we're dispatching it as a deputy. And that's how we're going to enter into his rest. See, God entered into rest because he dispatched that word as a deputy. And um, uh, also in Exodus chapter 31 and verse 13, he said to Moses that to tell the, children, the Israelites, truly, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify and, and uh, set you apart for myself. So there's something about uh, a sanctification work that happens when we enter into that rest. And so he said uh, that you will keep my Sabbaths. So them honoring the Sabbath and showing forth the resting place of God is a, is a holy thing. It's, it's really a holy thing that we're talking about. And uh, I will go ahead and show you now that in, in, uh, in, in Isaiah, in Exodus 33, 14, the Lord told Moses, my presence shall go with thee and I will give you rest. That the presence of the Lord will go with me and I will give you rest. And then in Isaiah eleven ten it says, in that day there shall be a root of Jesse that which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. So the resting place and the glory, the resting place and holiness being a sanctified place, the resting place and the, the seventh day that he sanctified it and made it holy. So the resting place, entering into that rest, faith has to rest and so you bring it into that. And, you know, um, I'm reminded that Paul was told that he would be that to, to go to all of those who are sanctified by faith in me. 
So <clears throat> faith is a sanctifying work. I used to wonder, why does everything have to be by faith, Lord? Why can't we just have a gimme sometimes? It all has to be by faith. And it's because we serve this holy God, which we've kind of forgotten about through the years, that he is holy. And so things coming into his presence have to be sanctified by faith. Faith is a sanctifying work. And uh, so he said, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. In uh, the His rest shall be glorious, it says in, in Isaiah 11, 10. And in Romans 6, 4, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So the anointing Christ was raised from the dead through the channel of the glory of God, of the Father. And remember, his rest is glorious and glory raises the dead. My presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. His rest is glorious and glory raised Christ from the dead. He was raised up through the glory, by or through the glory of the Father. So this resting thing has a whole lot of benefits, side of side benefits to it, you know, a lot of little hidden gimmies and uh, good things for it. So, uh, so we're getting back to how do we enter into that rest? Well, I want to read from um, Exodus chapter 17. Let me see. I have it here. I have it here. Exodus chapter 17. And um, you'll see, you'll, it's really a neat. I'm just going to read the whole chapter, actually. This is a story. This is where um, the people cried out to Moses because they they were mad because they could. All the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of Zin after their journeys according to the commandment of the of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. So they're, they're getting angry. The people are getting uh, frustrated and angry. And they chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses. You know, uh, in, in Numbers somewhere it says that when murmuring is hard to cure. <laughs> it means hard to cure. So when we murmur, we're hard to cure. <clears throat> and he said, um, why have you brought us out here? And so, uh, and to, uh, to, to kill us. And Moses cried to the Lord saying, what shall I do unto these people that they, they're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, go and go on before the people and take with thee the elders of Israel and thy rod therewith that thou smotest the river Thine, take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb. And Jesus is the rock. In Isaiah 51, he talks about he's the rock. So I will stand before thee. This is, uh, this is pro, a prophetic picture of a truth that happened later in the New Testament. You know, the Old Testament is concealed. The, the New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. And this is, we're going to see a New Testament principle lived out in these Old Testament pictures. 
And he said, I will stand there before thee upon a rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Remember, they fell in the wilderness for tempting God. And how did they tempt him? They doubted him. They questioned him. And then uh, he called the name of the place Masa and Meribah. And then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Now, here's something interesting about Amalek. We're going to see the picture. Well, let me go ahead and finish this. Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out, men, and go out and fight with Amalek tomorrow. I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Ur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Now, but Moses' hands were heavy and they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon and Aaron and Ur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side, the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the, and the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of Jehovah Nissi, which is the Lord our banner. For he said, Because the Lord has shown that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, one thing to, to know about how does, how does that story fit into my life? How do I translate it from that story, a real story that happened? And how do I put that and make it useful in my life? Well, this helped me because the word Amalek, see, um, the Hebrew language, the words have relationships with each other. And they relate to each other by the, the, the numerical value of the word. And the word for Amalek, the numerical value for Amalek, the, the name Amalek, is the same numerical value as our English word doubt. So if you consider that when Joshua is fighting Amalek, you and I are wrestling with doubt. So when you have an, a when we're when you're wrestling with doubt, is that you, me, or the devil, Lord? You're in battle with Amalek. And look what happened here. Uh, we, you have to dig these little treasures out. Uh, the, the word for hands uh, in Proverbs 18, it says, death and life are in the hand of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so um, a lot of times when the battles are going on, the word for hands is the same word for tongue. So actually, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the tongue is the hand of the spirit. And what do you put in a hand? You put a sword. Joshua has a sword in his hand. So, <coughs> excuse me, when you put the word of God on your tongue, then you've got the sword in your hand and you're fighting Amalek just like Joshua was. But the interesting thing, but Moses' hands were heavy and they took a stone and put it under him. So Joshua and Ur held up Moses' hands. And so when we stand with each other over the with the word of God, and when I come up next to you and stand and speak the word only with you, we're in that same kind of battle, but now it's in the spirit.
you don't you don't see it played out. But the principle of all of that is played out here. We're going to see some more in Numbers chapter 22. Because here he said to Moses, um, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock. That is a picture of Christ at the cross. He was, uh, he was pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace fell upon him. He took 39 stripes upon his back. So when Moses, I don't know if you've ever wondered, why did Moses not get to enter the promised land? Because so, some of these things that are happening in the Old Testament were prophetic pictures of New Testament principles, and they had to come, they had to be like they were. I mean, God had to hold them. It's kind of like the law, you know, and I, if you, if you don't fulfill the law, if, if the law says don't uh, gather sticks on a Sunday, on a Sabbath, then you die if you do that. And they had to keep the law because there were principles that were being laid down that had to be kept because of the true principles coming in the New Testament. So he said, um, I will stand before thee upon the rock and you shall smite the rock. Now, if we go to, um, I don't know if we have time actually. Oh, let me show you a couple of things. The people got angry with Moses and we're going to see next, next week. We'll wait till next week because we have more time to get into it. But the, the people got angry with Moses and, and, but he was supposed to smite the rock. Well, he, he did smite the rock and, and because of their anger. And it says here in Psalm 78, this, this is what I'm telling you when God wants us to know, does not want us doubting. He wants us to do warfare with doubt and stop it. In Psalm 78, 18 through 23, it says, they tempted God in their hearts. You know, it talks in the New Testament about them tempting him in the wilderness. Well, this is it. They tempted him in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yes, they spake against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob and anger was also came against Israel because they believed not God and trusted not in his salvation. If you want to make God hot, you want to please God. It's impossible to please God without faith. You want to make him hot, then doubt him. Do you know, I was thinking back on, uh, we did a couple of podcasts back about the goodness of God. And F.F. Uh, F. Bosworth, Christ the Healer, he was saying, I would rather, uh, the Lord would rather you think that he didn't have the power to heal you than to think that he did, but he didn't want to heal you. So doubting God's goodness is a, is a big um, place that we need to say, no, God is good. No matter what we're feeling, <laughs> I remember saying to the Lord one time, you can get by with things when you've got little diapers on and you're swishing around in diapers and you're a baby. You wouldn't do that at 20, at 20 years down the road. But I remember saying to him one time, Lord, I know when this is all said and done, you're going to turn out being right and I'm going to turn out being wrong. But in my eyes right now, you're not looking too good because <laughs> it wasn't working out the way I thought it was supposed to. 
So we just have to trust that God is good. He has my my welfare at heart here. He loves me and he wants, this is working towards his good in my life. Amen. I don't know what you're dealing with right now, but um, the rock has been struck and the water has gushed out. So just take a good deep drink this week and enjoy Jesus' goodness. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week and we'll finish up on how do we enter into that rest. Okay. Bye.